You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. Uh, just kind of walking through uh, some of the different ways that Jesus changes things. Um, and that is like a tremendous understatement. Um, he flips stuff upside down. Um, completely changes the way that we view the world. And um, when we were kind of drawn up how we were going to go through this series and how we were going to break it up and, you know, who was going to take what parts, and uh, I immediately was like, I want John 4. I want John 4. Um, because I love this story. <clears throat> it's a Sunday school story. We, we, you know, if you've grown up in church, you're probably going to be very familiar um, with this story, but uh, I want to challenge you to uh, not read ahead. Uh, don't beat me to the finish line because you're familiar with the story. Um, we're going to read, talk, read, talk, apply, read, talk, apply. We're just going to take our time as we move through uh, this chapter. Uh, my prayer is that you are challenged uh, by it, not by what I'm going to say, but by, by what Jesus says, um, and that it's relevant to you. Uh, after a video like that, uh, that was like dripping of masculinity, um, like I feel like I need a grunt right now, uh, what we're going to look at is actually going to be really uh, woman power, so kind of fun opportunity to, to preach from a perspective um, after that video. All right, so if you've got paper Bible, if you've got robo Bible, whatever you've got, go ahead and fire it up, and we're going to jump into John chapter 4. Uh, I don't think we're putting a whole lot of verses behind us, so uh, it will behoove you to follow along. All right, so Jesus, in John chapter 4, we're just going to start right at verse 1. Uh, now, when Jesus had learned that the Pharisees, oh, I'm sorry, before we jump in too much further, I'm supposed to mention something about youth camp, because that's my job, I guess, um, as a youth pastor. Hey, uh, this will be uh, June 3rd through the 6th, we're going to Crystal Beach, we rented a beach house, uh, but this won't be a vacation, like, this isn't like, hey, let's go to the beach and not do anything, like, this is discipleship focused. Like that's that's the point. We're 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 getting away from our community. We're getting away from uh, normal. Uh, we're gonna try to get away from a little bit of technology. Try to get away from maybe some influences that aren't the best for us, uh, and be together. Be family. We've been talking a lot about family and youth uh, services on Wednesdays, and so it's an opportunity to even kind of put some of that into practice. Okay. So if you're thinking, well, do I send my kid to this or do I send my kid somewhere else? Uh, yeah, sure, we're going to be at the beach, and yeah, sure, we're going to get in the water, and yeah, sure, we're going to go to Schlitterbahn, but we're also going to open up the Word a lot, okay? Uh, we're going we're gonna, to, there will be ministry. This won't be uh, just a beach vacation. Okay, John chapter 4. Uh, when uh, Jesus had learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples did, uh, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And so Jesus was not interested in the drama of who's baptizing more disciples, and he disarms the destructive notion that this is a popularity contest right out of the, right out of the gate. He's like, you guys are missing the point. Pharisees are really big in numbers and counting and all that kind of stuff, and Jesus is just like, yeah, I'm just going to step away from it. I'm not going to engage in that one. So I love verse 4. Uh, if you highlight in your Bible, if you underline John 4, 4 is a phenomenal verse, and he had to pass through Samaria. He had to. He's in the northern part of the country, 
He's going to the southern part of the country. At this time in uh, history, uh, the Israelites, the Jews, and, and the Sumerians had no interaction. It was a very, very toxic, very uh, broken um, interaction. And Jews would go the longest route possible around Samaria so that they wouldn't have to even let the dust of the Samaritans be on their shoes. This is racism. Okay? This is bigotry. Um, but our Messiah, our teacher, our rabbi, our Lord, had to go to Samaria. I love that. And so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, one verse 5, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Okay, Joseph's, I'm sorry, the Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now, the ancient Jews, they use their calendar and their times and clocks a little bit differently than us. Uh, this is noon, okay? So sixth hour in their world, noon. This is the Middle East at noon. It's hot, okay? Uncomfortably hot, probably. Southeast Texas, humid, hot. Not when you want to be going to the well. Um, this is also a very historically significant well. Um, before the fraction of these two people groups, um, this whole land was the land that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob sojourned. And so this so happened to be, from a Jew's perspective, a very sacred monument behind enemy lines, right? So kind of a significant um, place that Jesus is at. I also love that um, in verse 6 it says Jesus was wearied as he was from his journey. Jesus experienced fatigue. And I don't think that's to be understated. The Word made flesh, like we talked about two weeks ago. Um, God in human form, the light and life of this new humanity, allowed himself to experience fatigue. He could have taken on all the easy parts of being man, but he didn't. He took on all of it. And this is one little word that reminds us that he is that sympathetic high priest. He is everything he said he is. He opted to take on all of what it means to be human, even getting tired from walking in the heat of the day. So Jesus of Nazareth, fully God and fully human, that's profound. This is a big deal. He allowed himself to experience fatigue. That should be reassuring. That should be comforting. We'll see in a couple more Chapters, when Lazarus passes away, that he weeps. That's profound. Verse 7. All right, so then uh, the woman that we all know, a uh, woman from Samaria came at noon to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. For the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Well, remember how Jesus had to go through Samaria? It was no coincidence that Jesus 
is at this well at exactly this time on exactly this day. That's not a coincidence. This was all planned. He knew whenever he first set out on his journey back to Judea that he had an appointment to make, an appointment with this woman, and an appointment that she had no idea was coming. I wonder who might have walked in today um, not knowing that today was a day of visitation for you. Um, That it's just another day, just doing your thing, and today Jesus is at the well. And I also wonder how many wells we are at regularly that we don't realize. Are we routinely, are we regularly at a place where Jesus is waiting to meet us? I love that he beats her there too. Like he's waiting for her, like watching the clock. The disciples have walked off and he's like, okay, any second now. Does he see her from a distance as she's like approaching? You know, is he like struggling not to make eye contact because that would make it super awkward? Like, or is he like just staring right at her and she's like, what is going on? You know, I I don't know. It's interesting, like, how does this like, let's move on. All right, we're verse 10. Jesus answered her, because her question is, why are you talking to me? I'm a woman, you're a man, I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. There is so much that you even addressing me is violating in the decorum of the day. And so it's like just blowing her mind that they're even having this conversation to begin with. Jesus answers her, if you knew the gift of God... And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Are you greater than our father Jacob? I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. I I missed a verse there. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water from, uh, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Are Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave, us well, he gave us this well and, and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. I love that she is Captain Obvious, like, in this moment. Like, just, like, he just used living water, and she's like, you don't even have a spoon. You know, like, she is, but here's the reality, though. She is us. Mm, man, she's us. You know, Jesus teases us with these little invitations, and we are just like, yeah, but what about this problem? And it's like, I'm... God here. I'm not super concerned about the practicalities when I can make planets. Let's rewind just for a second. Why was it such a big deal that he was talking to her? A little history lesson. I'll try to be super brief through this, but it's relevant um, for where we're going. Feelings of ill will go all the way back to the separation of the northern and southern Jewish kingdom after King Solomon died. Israel is in the north with the capital city of Samaria, and these people became known as Samaritans, Uh, and Judah in the south with the capital city of Jerusalem, and these people became known as the Jews. Uh, Northern king loved their pagan idols and were constantly at odds with the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, 722 B.C., The city of Samaria fell to the Assyrians and became the headquarters of the Assyrian province of Samaria. They actually pronounced it Samarina, I think. Uh, The inhabitants of Judah were not sympathetic, 
and in some ways uh, considered the plight of their northern brothers their just desserts for abandoning God and his laws and adopting the gods of the Assyrians. And so while many of the inhabitants of the city and the surrounding area of Samaria were led off into captivity, there were some uh, farmers and others who were left behind. All right, everybody with me so far? Okay. Uh, fast forward 100 years. The Assyrians fall to the Egyptians, and, the, and Egypt in turn uh, was later conquered by Babylon. And during all of this time, those remaining in the north began to intermarry with their captors from Mesopotamia and Syria. And as a result, they began to worship foreign gods uh, exclusively. Uh, because of this, the Jews' disdain and dislike uh, for those in the north grew deeper and deeper due to their idolatry uh, and marrying uh, non-Jewish people, uh, which was not permitted by God. Um, and for this reason, the Jews considered the Samaritans as dogs, half-breeds, uh, mudbloods, if you're a potterhead. Uh, in 586 B.C., uh, the southern kingdom of Judah was later taken captive by the Babylonians, and uh, that's what's called the Babylonian exile. The book of Daniel is written during that time. Uh, like in the north, there were some that uh, were left behind in the southern kingdom. All right, then King Cyrus of Babylon permitted uh, the Jews to return from Babylon. This is Nehemiah, Ezra. Uh, the Samaritans were ready to, and welcome, uh, to welcome them back, but these exiles, however, still hated the Samaritans. So they've also just recently gotten chastised as a people group. They are allowed back. If you remember the story of Nehemiah, they're allowed back. Um, Samaritans are like, hey, let's bury the hatchet. And the Jews are like, yeah, nope. Uh, we still do not like you. Even though by this point, no Jew has actually interacted with the Samaritan in a long time. So none of them knew each other. It was just, oh, where are you from, Samaria? Nope. Um, this is deep-seated, deep-seated hatred. Um, when the Samaritans wanted to uh, help in rejoining the temple building in Jerusalem, their assistance was rejected by the Jews. And come to find out the Samaritan leaders at that time did have some shady motives uh, for why they were offering and help in the first place. Uh, their actions of both sides didn't help things improve one bit. So one side's throwing grenades and the other side is throwing grenades right back. Uh, and we've got this downward spiral uh, of animosity. Uh, the actions of both sides didn't help you out. So the Samaritans tried to undermine the Jews by slowing down the rebuilding of the temple. Again, this is Ezra. This is Nehemiah stories. Uh, they set up their own temple in Mount Gerizim, complete with their own priesthood. So basically this was, okay, well, we're going to take our ball and go home then. Uh, and they just doubled down on the division and said, well, we don't need your temple. We don't need your priesthood. We actually don't even need your scriptures uh, they cast out everything except for the original couple of books of the Bible. Basically, the laws of Moses is the only thing they keep. None of the prophets, none of the Psalms. They drop all of that. And so they've got their own sacred text now. They've got their own sacred places. They've got their own sacred people. Uh, they're just going to kind of make it up on, on their own now. Uh, we do not need you Jews. So with that, any hope of reconciliation between these two people was lost. Eventually, the religion of the Samaritans evolved to the point where they had uh, only the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy, like I said. Uh, sadly, disagreements, wars, differences in worship, and miscommunications resulted in the simmering hatred that divided God's people who were once brothers. They're all still from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they are so pitted against each other. And it's a tragedy. Uh, it is with those centuries of opposition and incidents behind their peoples that we can understand the surprise of this woman when Jesus rises above social and religious 
uh, restrictions and talks to her about water. Uh, simply by sitting at that well and initiating conversation with this woman, Jesus is making several public, very jarring, um, very contrarian political statements. And he, uh, he, all he did was ask about water, but just the fact that he's there, the fact that he's talking to her, the fact of who he is, is rocking anybody who's watching this. Like, what is going on? We miss this. Uh, because we are Westerners with our Western eyes. Um, if I'm a first century Jew reading this, this is convicting, this is challenging, this is frustrating me. Um, I'm really getting agitated right now because Jesus is calling out things that I hold very near and dear to myself by even having this conversation. The interaction that we're about to read and continue reading has rattled his followers to the core. Nothing about this interaction with her was subtle. He's calling out the fundamental constructs of the idea of human inequalities, uh, such as extreme nationalism, bigotry, racism, hate speech. He's calling out the attitudes and actions stemming from socioeconomic prejudice, from showing someone preference or prejudice just because of their social... He's calling out the evils of gender bias that was pervasive in his day and continues to be pervasive in large parts of the world. Most of human history up to this point has been extremely male-dominated and aggressively oppressive to females. And I'm so glad so much has changed. Uh, Women at this time were considered by and large second-class citizens. They had no rights. They were little more than property. And sadly, God's people were not immune to this sinful, tragic, ignorant, and repressive ideology. And as we'll soon learn, he's also calling out the ideas uh, and behaviors of what we might call today, where are the kids? Are all the kids gone? Okay. Yeah, so I don't know if you're familiar with this terminology I'm about to use. It's a little, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. Um, The idea of of slut-shaming, okay, is a very real thing. in our society, on social media, it is really, really, really pervasive. Uh, somebody has a history, somebody has a past, and our society is really good at going, oh, okay, you're one of the dirty girls. You're one of, you know, um, and it's not just the girls. It could be guys too, but it seems to be angled toward one gender. It's a social stigma. It's generally applied to women uh, who are perceived to have violated traditional expectations for sexual behaviors. That's a really textbook definition of that. In this one simple act, Jesus is publicly validating women in general, as well as his Samaritan brothers and sisters. Um, Hear this. Jesus is in the business of returning honor and dignity to those who society has marginalized. That's like one of his biggest things that he does. When he changes everything, he's bringing honor to people who the world said, you're worthless. He's bringing dignity to people who've been trampled on. By society. Can you relate? Do you know someone at your job or in your family or in your school that's been marginalized? That's been pushed off to the sidelines? Made insignificant? Been shunned? Maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you're experiencing this now. Are you the woman tonight? 
I'm a youth pastor, so most of my times are at night, so I just said night, but this morning. Um, well, then hear it again, that Jesus is in the business of returning honor and dignity to those that society has shunned and oppressed. If you've never felt the recipient of any of that, you're in good company. Jesus is here for you. And here in this text, he's doing much more than just validating the marginalized. Just by speaking kindly to this woman, he's also invalidating and challenging the actions and attitudes and notions held by the vast majority of the population. And interestingly enough, those actions, attitudes, and notions were held by the religious leadership of both sides. Both sides were in the wrong here. This wasn't just a Samaritan problem. This was a human problem. Two wrongs never make something right. He's even calling out the idea of fighting fire with fire is the best way to handle a situation whenever you've been wronged or offended. Has there maybe ever been a time in your life uh, where you've been offended and you responded with an offense instead of with forgiveness or grace? Maybe you can relate. How did that work out for you? How's that relationship? Uh, My guess is that it's uh, only acted as a catalyst that's escalated things to a new level of tension and anger uh, and hate. Both sides had the opportunity to say, hey, um, yeah, we'll, we'll bury the hatchet. Neither did, though. Samaritans and Jews continued to go on for a long time after the original offense, um, hating each other. Uh, there was a, a TV show that came on a while back uh, about some, like, gunman. Was it Hatfield McCoy or something like that? It's basically, are you thinking that? Yeah. It's basically the exact thing. Okay, like, their stories, like, history doesn't, like, like human evolution, like a lot of our public schools will teach, uh, we're, we're getting better and better. But we're not. We're getting worse. Uh, we're, we're repeating the same lessons, trying to learn it again, and we keep, like, failing that test over and over again. Um, what does Jesus change? This isn't in my notes, but what does Jesus change? That. He offers an off-ramp to this stupid downward spiral of human degradation. I mean, it's just we don't learn our lessons at all. Uh, the whole Old Testament is basically that story. Um, yeah. Jesus is saying that it doesn't have to go down like that. There is another option. Relationships can be healed. And some people need to hear that louder. Uh, relationships can be healed. They can. Somebody's probably going to have to die for that to happen, though. And I don't mean a physical death. Um, we have to die to ourselves. We have to die to our pride. We have to die to what we want, maybe our agenda, how we think it should go down. Um, this is basically the teaching of Jesus. Um, all right, so let's jump back into the text. Uh, verse 10 through 15, uh, Jesus has absolutely no interest in talking politics uh, with this woman. Uh, she starts asking questions about, um, are you better than Jacob? Are you better than Joseph? He moves right past that, uh, not interested in getting caught up in that politics. Um, I love this woman. Uh, she's so us. Um, he kindly dismisses her observations by teasing her again uh, about this living water uh, and how it's an eternal source that comes from anyone who drinks from it. Uh, and at this point now, she's hooked like a fish. Uh, she wants this gift of God. She wants this living water. And her reasons are interesting. She's tired of being thirsty, and she's tired of having to go to the well to draw water. 
And it's the, like I said, noon in the Middle East, so it's hot, and it's literally the worst time to draw water, a task that was usually done uh, in either early morning or late night, and it was usually very laborious. Um, they didn't have the conveniences that we do in some, um, in some ways. And then in verse 16, let's read uh, verse 16 to verse 18 together. And so Jesus says to her, uh, hey, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, yeah, you're right in saying that I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. So why was this woman drawing water at noon? To avoid the ridicule of her fellow townspeople. Um, Hey, uh, ladies, y'all can be mean. Y'all can fight really unfairly. Y'all can, like, not let bygones be bygones and bring up some history. Yeah. Happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) She has a reputation. Uh, We don't know exactly why she's had so many husbands? Was she just struck with the worst luck ever? Um, she probably maybe viewed as a, I mean, still alive. Is she a black widow? We don't, we don't know anything about th- these guys. We don't know anything about them. All that we know is that there have been five, uh, and she's now with somebody else. Uh, had they died prematurely? Uh, was there some long line of divorce and scandal associated with this woman? Uh, While the text does not explicitly say why she's been married so many times, there's significant support to believe uh, that she was playing fast and loose with her sexuality. Uh, Either way, uh, the man that she was living with at this moment wasn't even officially her husband. And at that time and that day, that is capital S scandalous. And so to avoid any shaming and shunning by the rest of the townspeople, um, it made the most sense. And by the way, this is a woman's job. Uh, this was not a job that men usually would participate in, going and getting water. And so who is she avoiding? The ladies of her town, okay? Um, and also think about it as a society, okay? We're, we're going to go backwards in history a little bit. Um, you've got a lady who is probably, we don't, again, don't know this for sure, but she's probably... Um, <laughs> loose. Um, and how is this affecting the other women in the town? Like, how is this affecting other men in the town? Is she viewed as a temptation? Is she viewed as a threat? Um, is, is it better for the society to stay harmonious and, and well, to not even have her in the camp? Like, this is, this is some of the tension that she's living in daily. Either way, um, yeah, she doesn't, she doesn't want to subject herself to um, those daggers of looks and under-breath comments and what's in the Instagram comments. So it made the most sense to her to just go where there was very little likelihood of running into any of them. Maybe in some way you can relate. Uh, Maybe you know somebody who has had that reputation specifically. Maybe that person earned it, so to speak. Uh, You 
Uh, maybe you have heard rumors and lies that have damaged that person's reputation. Maybe you've been a part of propagating them. Uh, maybe you know someone that would just rather go the long way uh, to their next class or um, to lunch or whatever your context is um, and sit. Uh, I've, uh, students, I hear this actually a lot, and that's why it's in my notes here. Um, they'll just sit in the bathroom during lunch to avoid the jeers and stares of their peers. Isolationism at its worst. Um, I don't know fully what that looks like in the adult world, uh, but maybe you, maybe you can relate. Um, in this interaction, Jesus is demonstrating that the light and life that he brings isn't just for the morally astute, law-abiding citizens. It's even for those with a reputation. Maybe specifically for those with a reputation. Um, one of the things that I really love about this text and the fact that we sang one of the songs that we sang this morning, uh, unplanned, by the way, um, he's rewriting your history. He's covering you with destiny. What kind of destiny did this woman think she had? Is she just kind of like hoping for, you know, the end of this? Like, Jesus hasn't even gone to the cross yet. No blood has been spilled yet. And as we're going to see here in a moment, he's already inviting her into something better. That's how powerful the cross is. That it reaches backwards in time and heals stuff. Not just a now and forward, but a now, forward, and backwards. That is profound. That is amazing. That his sacrifice was that sufficient that he can talk to her, having not even done anything yet about sin and death and brokenness. He hasn't even done it yet. And he's already saying, hey, I've got living water. It's coming. I'm waiting for you to join me there. All right, verses uh, 20, 19 and 20. And the woman said, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that it's in Jerusalem. That's where people should worship. Okay, Captain Obvious again. Uh, different people kind of manifest awkward different ways. My armpits itch whenever I'm like super uncomfortable. You know, it's called the hot seat, right? And it's just like I can imagine her armpits are itching so Badly, like maybe in ways that they've never itched before because he is reading her mail. I mean, just calling her out, not being blunt about it, not being, or not being subtle about it. He's just like, boom, here's the truth. And she is looking at a mirror right now and feels very uncomfortable. Probably the most uncomfortable she's ever felt in her life. And she's looking for an off-ramp, like, uh, you obviously have some prophetic power. Hey, so tell me about which mountain we're supposed to worship on. You know, trying to, like, derail, trying to figure out a way to get out of this awkward moment. Um, yeah, yeah, the man she's talking to is kind of gifted in the prophetic thump. Um, she's super perceptive. I, I think the rocks that are making up this well are probably rolling their eyes right now. Just like, bro, come on, like, play along, quit being that way. Uh, she again wants to make the conversation something political, maybe to get off the topic, maybe to change the subject, maybe to get out of the hot seat. Uh, verses 21 through 26. So Jesus says to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming 
when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you don't know, and we worship what we do, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must also worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Mm, Get ready. And then Jesus says to her, I'm he. What's beautiful about this interaction, John, by the way, we've said it a few different times, John jumps around with the chronological order of Jesus' story, okay? Um, This is, if you lay all the four Gospels together, this is the first time that he has, like, blatantly said, I'm the Christ. And who is it to? A Samaritan woman with a past. And if you don't hear anything else this morning, the first person that he reveals by his own declaration is his godness, is to a woman of Samaria with a past. Tell me more about your problems. Tell me more about why you're not hearing Jesus' voice today. All the reasons and excuses and obstacles for you to lean in to this gospel. This woman had everything stacked against her. And it's Jesus' first declaration of his messianic-ness. That's so profound, guys. That's like incredibly important. So Jesus, this time he's playing along a little bit more, but instead of engaging in the political conversation, he cuts to the quick. He basically says that the feud between the Jews and the Samaritans will be over soon because the time is coming and now is here. That true worship will transcend location, but it'll be rather rooted in spirit and truth. Jesus is teaching her and us that through him the Father has made a way for anyone, Jew, Samaritan, Gentile, to access God from anywhere and at any time. And that through Jesus' work on the cross coming uh, and his being resurrected from the death, we would have access to eternal life. And again, Jesus is making no unclear declaration that he is the one that's been prophesied about. Verse 27 through 30, uh, then, okay, this is where it gets funny, and then the knuckleheads show up. Uh, then Jesus is, dis- okay, all right, all right. He just dropped the God bomb on her, okay? Like, she's been asking for this living water. Okay, give it to me. Yeah, I'm ready, I'm ready. Uh, hey, there's a Messiah coming. Yeah, yeah, he's gonna be awesome too. We're excited about that. And then Jesus says, yeah, that's me. And she doesn't say anything back, and he doesn't take that moment, the weight of that moment off the table. It's just there, and it's hairy and weighty and just, I mean, do they ever, like, stop looking at each other? Like, I'm, I'm thinking this woman is just, like, like dialed in. Like, what is coming next? And then the disciples that he sent away to go find lunch come back with their food and, I mean, walk, okay, be a, be a first century Jew man for a moment, okay? Walk up on this interaction, you don't know any of the things that have happened. You don't know any of the conversation that's happened. You just walk up to Jesus, your rabbi, talking to a Samaritan woman who's drawing water at noon. You're immediately connecting the dots. Like, what, why are you here? Something's up. And they're just staring at each other. And they're like, I mean, you'll read it here. His disciples come back, 
and they're marveled that he was even talking with a woman, but no one said so. No one said, hey, woman, are you okay? Why are you talking with her, Jesus? So the woman left her jar and went away into town and said to the townspeople, come and see a man who told me all that I had ever done. Can this be the Christ? Okay, stop. She doesn't care about these guys are thinking right now because she just met Jesus. She doesn't ask for permission to leave. Hey, and this is also kind of weird. She doesn't even ask for the forgiveness of her sins. She just immediately recognizes what's going on and darts because other people need to hear this. Other people need to hear this. There are other people in her situation, maybe not specifically, but generally. She recognizes a great need is going to be met in this man. I love the disciples. They're morons. So meanwhile, the disciples want to talk about who's eating what. Skip down to verse 39. Um, because of this divine appointment with Christ, she was no longer concerned with her reputation and how she would be perceived by her fellow townspeople. She had just experienced, without a doubt, the greatest thing ever. And she wanted to make sure that others had that same opportunity. And then what was the result of her sharing other, uh, with others her experience with Jesus? Many Samaritans, verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him and they asked him to stay with them, he stayed there for two more days. And many more believed because of his words. Now I have this highlighted to you, and I think this is important. Verse 42, they said to the woman, this is her townspeople, the ones that have been waiting for the opportunity to stone her, to excommunicate her, to get her out of the context. She's the the problem. She's the thorn in the side for the society. This is what they say to her. It's no longer because of what you've said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Now it's theirs. It's not just hers. They're, They're not worried anymore about the messenger because they've met I didn't mean for that to be. They're not worried about the messenger anymore because they've met the Messiah. And, 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 and the who that brought is irrelevant now. Uh, she's a part of the family. We're one at the feet of the cross. And, and, and they don't, they're not dependent on her testimony anymore because it's done its job. It's done its job. Now they have their faith on Jesus and they are equals. We, we, we struggle with putting people, men, women in our lives um, as some sort of mediator uh, between us and the message. And you've seen it so many times. A, a, A church pastor, some sort of evangelistic leader has some sort of a moral failure, and then what does the church do? You know, the sheep get scattered because they're putting their eyes on the wrong shepherd. Okay, when Christ is your shepherd, the man the stage, the woman that's teaching it, okay, you're just, you're just the medium. I'm not putting my faith in you. I'm not. I'm putting my faith in the one that you're talking about. And that's what's 
being taught right here. I think that's super important. Don't put your eyes too heavily on the messenger, okay? Because they might have a past, and, and they're human, and they may get tripped up into stuff. And if you put too much importance on that, then, yeah, you're, is, where's your faith at? Who is it anchored to? It needs to be anchored to Jesus, the Savior of the world. God, that's awesome. And so what was the result of her sharing her experience with Jesus, the story of her divine appointment? Many in her city came out to meet Jesus. Many in her city saw the light, drank from the living water, and were given this eternal life. This passage of Scripture practically screams, hey, Justin, if you want to join me up here now, um, practically screams that your past does not have to define you, that it does not limit you, that he is not saying, he never said to the woman, go deal with your problem, then come back to me. He never said that. In the middle of its messiness, I'm he. The timing is really important. We don't get mixed up in that. Think about the thief on the cross next to Jesus. What a powerful story. Hey, Jesus, when you enter into the kingdom, would you remember me? What did Jesus say? All right, cool, yeah. Hey, get off the cross. Go get baptized. Go speak in tongues. Go repay your debts. No, he didn't say any of that. Those things are just fruit. That's not the salvation, though. Salvation is our faith in him and the declaration with our mouth, like Paul says. All that other stuff is, it's other stuff. It's important. Okay, it's important, but it's not the main thing. And, and this story highlights that again. He's not saying you have to go clean up yourself before you're eligible for this light in life and living water. You might have heard this before. He's saying it's okay to not be okay, but I'm not going to let you stay that way. It screams that your zip code does not define you. Your gender does not define you. The color of your skin, the contents of your wallet, what school you go to, what job you work, what kind of grades you're making, what kind of money you're earning, who your dad is, it doesn't matter what kind of car you drive, whether or not you made the team, none of these things define you. None of them define you. And I'm talking to adults. Your high school experience does not define you. Who you were or weren't does not matter anymore. In Christ, we get to rise above that. He's rewriting our history. Your true worth is only found in his eyes. And he's looking at each one of us right now the same way he looked at that woman. I am he and just lets it sit there. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do about that? Who are the townspeople in your life that need to hear that? Who are you going to leave this place today in just a few minutes and go tell? How is this going to impact your Samaria? He's looking at you the same way he looked at her, staring into her soul. And in some mystical, miraculous, divine, supernatural way, he's able to communicate love and grace and mercy and hope 
and life. Jesus is in the business of new beginnings. He's in the business of metamorphosis. He changes everything. At the end of the book, there's a verse that I love so much. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, and they overcame, they being the believers, the church, overcame him, the enemy, the devil, by three things. The blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and that they didn't love their life enough. What Jesus did, how it impacted them, and they weren't too afraid to share it. Who needs to hear this? If you've already received that living water, who needs to hear it? If you haven't received that living water, is today your Jacob's well moment? But I don't even have a cup. Come on. You ain't worried about that. Here, would you stand with me? I'll stay up here at the front if you want to talk for a couple minutes. If any of the other elders would like to join me, um, feel free to, to do that. Um, but yeah, uh, Justin's prayer this morning during worship was spot on. Uh, there, there's an opportunity this morning. Um, if that's you, um, if, if you haven't let that living water into your system yet, what are you waiting for? We can talk politics. We can talk. But the opportunity is right now to drink deep. From life. Yeah, one of the lyrics on that song said, I was breathing but not alive. Anybody thirsty? Anybody dry? Maybe you need to spend some time at the altar, which there's nothing holy about this plot, okay? Just like there's no mountain that defines where real worship happens. It's spirit and truth. So maybe it's your chair. Maybe it's your car on the way home could be the holiest place today for you. But don't let the moment go. Lord, thank you for John 4. Thank you for such a simple story, but it's loaded with challenges and implications for our day. Loaded with implications for our eternity. Such a beautiful story. Thank you for not going to the hero of the story with your first I am. Thank you for coming to the lowest of lows. That gives us hope that maybe this Jesus thing is for me too. Lord, I pray for bravery um, in, in the congregation this morning for that person or those people who need to take some sort of an action step after hearing this. Lord, I pray that it doesn't fall on deaf ears. Lord, that your word goes out. It finds good soil. Lord, and then it hundredfold, tenfold, it comes back with fruit. Lord, we thank you for salvation. That it's not just for the Jews, it's not just for the Samaritans, but it's for us too. It's for the whole world, the Savior of the world. You're a good God. If, uh, if you need to slip out, slip out. Um, let's keep this 
kind of a quiet place for just a little bit longer. And if anybody needs any prayer, any ministry, we're, uh, we're here up front for you. Lord, thank you for your better word. Thank you that it's not up to us, that we can put our full faith and confidence in you. God, let us be the church victorious when we leave this place. God, let us be the church that ill to a dark world. Help us be the light that pushes darkness back. In our community, God, let us be the kind of people that are quick to forgive. Let us be the kind of people who are quick to offer grace. Let us be the kind of people who invite others, the marginalized, the oppressed, in to the banquet table. God, let us be bold but confident because of what you've done, not our message. But let us know our story well to be able to say he knew everything about me. And yet he still offers me love and grace and acceptance. Thank you for this time. Thank you for each and every one of the hearts here. It's in Jesus' amazing name. We say together, amen. Amen. Hey, be blessed. Be blessed.